Hello and welcome to Wineskins, a program that features the lives of the saints and reflections on the Sunday readings, along with information on a variety of topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Our program is brought to you through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. Our interview segment today will feature Sister Mary McCormick. We will also get a glimpse into the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, along with reflections on the readings for this second Sunday of Advent. That and more on Wineskins. In our Life Issue segment, Father Jack Lavelle will talk about addictions. Addiction cuts across all demographics and similar to people of any religion. Even the most devout of Catholics can fall victim to an addiction. In Catholicism, addiction is viewed as a direct threat to both a person's physical body and their spiritual pathway into the kingdom of heaven. The Catholic Church has taken a firm stance against substance abuse in all forms for centuries. However, the Church also understands that people make mistakes and knows that addiction is a disease that can't simply be prayed away. If a parish member falls victim to addiction, the Catholic, while there are many forms of addictions these days, continues to pray and work with them, but offer many solutions to provide assistance, help, and support. Every day, there are more and more forms of addiction. We see it in gambling, misuse of the internet, and many more. But two addictions that continue to take hold of many in our society are drug and alcohol abuse. Recognizing the need for healing, the Church provides resources to aid the way back to sobriety, including directly providing drug and alcohol rehabilitation. There are now countless Catholic-based addiction treatment centers that are directly affiliated with the Church across the United States. The Catholic Church believes that if an individual wants true healing, there has to be a deeper truth involved. Under this type of faith-based treatment, sin has to be acknowledged in order to receive the curative aspects of the faith. And although this may be hard, the acknowledgement of wrongdoing sets the mind and body free so that a person can fully heal from addiction. The Church believes that anyone can overcome addiction by attending the proper recovery program and dedicating themselves to a sober Catholic sacramental life. In addition to rehabilitating members by way of detox and individualized therapies, Catholic addiction treatment programs integrate facets of religion to find the root cause for addiction and strengthen members' relationships with God. There are many types of Catholic addiction treatment programs available for those seeking help, including private rehabilitation centers, inpatient and outpatient facilities, even local parish support groups. There are several components to each type of these programs, but all focus on the belief that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the primary basis for recovery from addiction. The Church considers addiction to be both a sin and a disease that can only be overcome with the invocation of prayers, Scripture, a strong belief in the Holy Trinity, as well as reliance on those competent professionals who are able to dedicate themselves to the healing of individuals caught in the grips of addiction. The elements found in Church-affiliated programs are similar to those of non-denominational addiction treatment and recovery programs, but also include the following religious aspects. A 12-step program that is faith-based, Bible study sessions and related scriptural readings, 
daily prayer and reflection sessions, lectures and sermons that discuss addiction in terms of the Catholic faith, ministerial and pastoral counseling, even attendance at regular church services. It is important to note, it is important to note that in addition to faith-based techniques, the Catholic Church also recognizes the importance of evidence-based methodologies and includes these in drug and alcohol rehab as well. Catholic addiction treatment then incorporates core religious tenets like atonement and worship, in addition to evidence-based practices such as detoxification and counseling. The primary benefit of this type of addiction treatment is that it enhances the recovery process by incorporating Catholic faith perspectives, which have proven to reduce relapse rates. The following benefits provide a client with opportunities to grow in faith and knowledge of God's Word. The Catholic-based drug rehabilitation therapies, as mentioned, support through a 12-step self-discovery and self-inventory therapy, targeted holistic therapies with a focus on mindfulness and self. Catholic rehab programs rely heavily on communication, communication with others who are struggling with addiction, with family and loved ones, with counselors and clergy. Catholic priests, theologians, and healthcare providers all play an important role in the religious-based addiction treatment. There are several different types of Catholic drug and alcohol rehab programs and counselors, and any one of them would be a wonderful resource for someone struggling with addiction. If you are a religious individual, you may find that connecting with your Catholic faith is one of these best ways to get started toward the road of long-term recovery. If you think that you or a loved one would benefit from this type of addiction treatment, contact a treatment provider and learn more about your options today, either by searching the web to contact one of these faith-based providers or contact your local Catholic Charities Agency for direction. Placing our trust in God's love and mercy, may we all seek His abundance of healing in our lives. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jack Lavelle. Our Lady of Guadalupe is celebrated on Tuesday. To tell us more is Brother Dominic Calabro, he is from the Society of St. Paul in Canfield. Under the title of Our Lady of Guadalupe, the Blessed Virgin Mary was named Patron of Mexico by Benedict XIV, who ordered a special Mass in her honor. Under the same title, she is Patron of Latin America and the Philippines. In 1945, Pope Pius XII stated that the Virgin of Guadalupe is the Queen of Mexico and Empress of the Americas. The focal point of the Basilica at Guadalupe, Mexico, is the miraculous portrayal of the Blessed Virgin Mary as the Immaculate Conception. Juan Diego, a Catholic Indian aged 55, was hastening to Mass down the famous Tepeyac Hill on December 9, 1521. The Blessed Virgin appeared to him and told him to tell the bishop to have a temple built on that spot in her honor. After hearing the message, the bishop told Juan Diego to ask for a sign. At daybreak on December 12th, Juan Diego was running to get a priest to give the last rites to an uncle who was dying. Again, Mary appeared, reassured Diego about his uncle, who was cured at that moment, and bade him to go to the bishop. Obedient to the bishop's previous request, Juan asked for a sign, and Mary told him to go up into the rocks and gather roses. He knew that December was not the time for roses, but he did as commanded and filled his cloak with fresh roses. Appearing before the bishop, he opened the cloak and 
and let the roses fall out. Then, to the bishop's amazement, he saw the figure of the Blessed Virgin Mary impressed on the inside of the cloak. Today, a magnificent basilica in honor of Our Lady of Guadalupe is one of the most famous frequented Marian shrines in the Catholic world. This feast is also celebrated in the United States because of the close link between the United States and Mexico. Juan Diego has been canonized and his feast is celebrated on December 9th. The opening prayer of the Mass states that God has blessed the Americas by the apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary at Tepeyac, Mexico. As France was honored by the Blessed Virgin at Lourdes and Portugal at Fatima, so also all the Americas, north and south, have been blessed by her appearance as Our Lady of Guadalupe. Her shrine should serve as a magnet to attract all who are devoted to the Blessed Mother. This feast is particularly relevant to the situation in the world today, when so many tensions have resulted from ethnic, religious, or nationalistic differences. For Wineskins, I'm Brother Dominic Calabro from the Society of St. Paul. With me is Sister Mary McCormick, who is the General Superior of the Ursuline Sisters of Youngstown. Welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. You know, we're talking the last time you were with us on the 150th anniversary of the Ursulines here in the Diocese of Youngstown, which you're celebrating September of 2023 to concluding in September of 2024. 150 years is a milestone, a major milestone. Are the sisters excited about it and try to explain their joy? Uh, it is something that we're all excited about. At this point, most of our sisters that are part of the Ursulines of Youngstown were here for the 100th anniversary. And of course, the 100th anniversary is a major event. 50 years ago, we celebrated that. Most of the sisters remember that. And in a way, it's kind of a sense of pride that they're still here with us. It's also just an acknowledgement of how much life has grown and changed over these last 50 years. And we do acknowledge that 150 years is a long time to be about something in one place. I'm also very aware of the fact that in terms of church history, 150 years isn't all that long. But for Catholics in Youngstown, that's pretty much most of the history of our life of faith here in this area. And let's talk about religious life in particular and how that has evolved going back to St. Angela Marici, but also to the culmination of your 150th year. How has religious life been celebrated, but also how has it evolved? That's a, a great question. And it's something I've, I've always been interested in. Because first of all, I'd like to just say that religious life is now and always has been a gift to the church. Mm -hmm. It's not part of the order of the church in the same way the priesthood is. You know, we call priesthood holy orders for lots of reasons, but one, it's part of the order of the church, where religious life is a gift to the church and, and wasn't always part of the life of the church. It has been more prominent, at least since about the year 500, and continues to this day. St. Angela Marici founded the Ursuline Sisters about 500 years ago, and she was one of the beginning people who would start what we call today an apostolic religious community, people that were about not just a life of prayer, yes, prayer, but also prayer combined with mission. I think the other community that's known for that are the Jesuits. And Angela and St. Ignatius of Loyola would have been contemporaries in starting that new form of religious life. But that's a reminder to us that religious life has always changed throughout the church, from monasticism 
to apostolic orders. And I think now we're at a time in the church where things are evolving again. What has been kind of the norm of religious life in the last 100 or 150 years is beginning to fade away. And I'm sure God's good providence will see a new development of some form of religious life. Well, we know that the Ursulines began here in the Diocese of Youngstown in Catholic schools. And that obviously has evolved and changed and grown over these 150 years. What are some of those significant moments where the community said, this is the direction we need to go. This is the other ministry that we need to focus on. What are some of those and why is that important? We got our inspiration from St. Angela Marici, and one of the things that she left us as part of her legacy was a sense of pay attention to what's going on in the world, and if you need to change, do so after prayer and reflection and consultation, do so with the guidance of God's Holy Spirit. That's exactly what our sisters have done. Think back to the 60s and 70s when Catholic schools were flourishing, not only here in Youngstown, but uh, across the country. There were lots of people, both religious and lay people, who engaged in that ministry. Because there were so many capable lay people in that ministry, some of our sisters began to move into other ministries Mm -hmm. called by the church. When you think about the first parish directors of religious education Mm -hmm. or pastoral associates, many times the pastors would say to the sister, would you please help us do this Mm -hmm. new ministry? We take it for granted now, but it was new in the 70s. It was also true when our sisters began to think about the needs of other people who were not at all being seen or met. Hmm. We began a ministry to homeless people. It started with homeless women and their dependent children with a formation of Beatitude House. Hmm. It evolved, too, when lots of people who were either infected by the HIV virus, they had trouble getting housing. And so eventually we started a housing program for people that had HIV or their families. They often had difficulty finding housing. Since we were in housing anyways, we kind of expanded that ministry as well. We know that there are significant events that surround the 150 years of the Ursuline Sisters. What are some of those events and what are some of the things that they can look forward to and where can they go to to find a, a list of those? Well, we started our anniversary with a mass at St. Luke Parish in September, kind of to kick off the anniversary year. Bishop Bonner was the presider at that mass, and so just a great way to celebrate, to begin the celebration. Also, in October of 2023, we opened an exhibit with the Tyler History Center. They've been gracious enough to allow us to have an exhibit there, and that'll continue through the spring, probably February of March of 2024. So that's one way to kind of mark this history. We also will be having a number of other events from September of 23 to September of 24. The best way to get information about that is on our website. You can find our website at theursulans.org. You know, when we talk about anniversaries, we talk about looking in the past, but also looking in the future. As you look to the future, what are you anticipating for the Ursulines? Oh, that's a great question. First of all, you know, as we think about this history, as we've thought about it this last year and a half or so, we've always talked about continuity and change. That's kind of the history of the world, some continuity and some change. So what we do now and what we've done for the last 150 years is very much in line with the gospel message and with the vision of St. Angela. So we want that 
to continue. We also are really excited about the vibrancy of our ministries today. We have what we call Ursuline Sisters Mission, that is the corporation under which all of our ministries take place. We have sisters still in parish ministry, some still a little bit in teaching, some in pretty traditional kinds of things, but we also generate ministries that serve the poor, people that usually are a little bit under the radar mm -hmm. in terms of coming to, to church regularly. And our mission is to reach out to them, to provide the services they need, to help them just kind of get their lives back on track and hopefully help them nurture a sense of hope, a sense of goodness of life. And those ministries have been really strong, especially in the last 30, 40 years. And we hope that Ursuline Sisters Mission will continue. We're really excited about the people who work with us in ministry and believe that they're going to lead us into the future, inspired by the gospel, inspired by the mission of St. Angela, and also inspired by the memory of the Ursuline Sisters who started those missions and ministries. Well, certainly, uh, Sister Mary McCormick, the Sisters of St. Ursula here in the Diocese of Youngstown made an impression on many of us, myself included, at grade school at Immaculate Conception, at Ursuline High School, working with the sisters in ministry and parish ministry. And so many of us have been blessed and privileged to work with the Ursulines. And we celebrate with you this 150 years of ministry here in the Diocese of Youngstown, the ministry began by St. Angela Marici, but also looking forward to many more years of ministry. Thank you. Thank you very much. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www.catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. If you have a story idea for the Catholic Echo magazine, podcast, or website, send an email to catholicecho at youngstowndiocese.org. We'd love to hear your ideas. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Our song today is from the CD entitled, A Cradle in Bethlehem, Our Savior is Born. It is by the Kellenberg Memorial High School Choir.
throughout all the land Sing praises of your name So that all will know The King of Kings has come The heart and soul The chosen one On Christmas Our scripture reflections for this second Sunday of Advent will be done by Father Jay Clark. He is Pastor Emeritus of St. Paul Church in North Canton. St. John the Baptist always shows up in the Gospel on the second Sunday of Advent. John the Baptist always shows up in the Gospel on the third Sundays of Advent as well. So I invite you to allow John the Baptist to companion you this week as you continue your spiritual journey to the birthday of Jesus Christ on December 25. John the Baptist was the most famous preacher of his day. He was obviously a physically colorful figure. The Gospel today says of John, he was clothed in a garment of camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. Grasshoppers, wild honey were his food. Tongue in cheek, one scripture commentator says of John, John must have looked like the star of one of those survivor reality shows you can see today on television. Moreover, John's open-air chapel on the banks of the Jordan River was an in place to be, and it attracted all kinds of people. John's message was exciting. The Messiah is finally coming. It's finally time to get ready. John's ritual ceremony for getting ready was dramatic. Confess your sins, walk into the river, be submerged, and come back ready to live a whole new lifestyle. John was rather demanding with the demands he made on his audiences. John warned all of them to clean up your lives before it's too late. Obviously, John wasn't out to make friends. John even dared to call the Pharisees and priests, prominent members of religious establishment, a brood of vipers. John was telling every one of them what the coming of Jesus Christ meant. It means good news if you're good and bad news if you're bad, and refused to shape up. 
John told his congregation, just because you're members of the chosen people is not a guarantee of your salvation. You have to live up to your calling. In a few weeks, on December 25, we will celebrate the birthday of the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus Christ. At the creed of our Masses, we will profess our belief that Jesus will always come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. That's you and me. This is a side of Jesus we're not always comfortable with, Jesus the judge. We'd much rather think of Jesus as the one who comes to heal and encourage and console us. Jesus does come to heal, encourage, and console us. But we also need to learn something equally important from John the Baptist. John was not going to allow his baptism ceremony to be just a bit of religious ritual, an exercise in harmless piety. John was determined to reach people at the core of their being and motivate them to change for the better. The same goes for the season of Advent. Preparing for Christmas involves not only celebration, but also introspection. How spiritually ready are you for the coming of Christ at Christmas? How ready are you for the coming of Christ at the end of your time on earth to judge the living and the dead? How ready are you for the coming of Christ every day? Are you spiritually ready? Three times in today's gospel, we hear John use the words repent. When we hear those words, we think of some terrible sinner who needs a total spiritual makeover. But it still applies to us. In other words, the word repent is meant for all of us, not just for notoriously bad people. Repent means to change your mind to become a different, better person. John the Baptist is telling us if we haven't been as good as we would like to be or as we know God would like us to be, then we need to decide to make our changes now. It's part of our normal conversations around Christmas time to ask, are you ready for Christmas? Wouldn't you be surprised if someone asked that question and you heard them say, oh, I'm still getting ready for Christmas, but I need a few more things to make myself more spiritually ready. The media is working overtime to telling you how to get ready for Christmas. Resolve to spiritually get ready as well. Advent doesn't come with a spiritual snooze alarm. Now is the time to just make Advent happen spiritually. Find ways to do that that are right for you and write for your family. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jay Clark. Repentance is a beginning that is blessed by God. It is a beginning that we need to make today and each day, one day at a time. Wineskins is made possible by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. Wineskins is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda, thanking you for being with us. Have a blessed Sunday, and may God be with you. What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. <laughs> I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife, and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to PovertyUSA.org today, because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.